Welcome to Better Money, a show that points an x-ray at folks driving capital and driving change, people working for better money. I'm Jefferson Smith, and I come from the nonprofit world. And I'm Noelle Brown, and I come from the for-profit world. We're joined today by Liz Bohannon. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show, guys. Liz, to help our listeners understand who are not already familiar with your work, how do you describe Seiko? Seiko is an ethical fashion brand that uses a social selling model to create community and opportunity for women globally. So I moved to East Africa when I graduated from university with a journalism degree with the hope of writing and reporting and learning about issues that were facing women and girls living in extreme poverty and in conflict and post-conflict zones. Showed up in Uganda and ended up meeting an incredible group of young women in between high school and university who tested into college but couldn't afford to go. And I was kind of coming from this perspective. I was a journalism student, really believed that if you wanted to do something good in the world, that you were a journalist, you were a social worker, you worked in community development. Um, And so my first thought was like, oh, no, duh, we'll start some sort of charity or sponsorship program where we can link women in the U.S. up with women in East Africa and they can support them while they go into university. And uh, I started kind of down that trail and then through a series of just deep diving and learning and researching became to my dismay, honestly, (laughs) Um, very convinced that for this specific challenge in this region with all of the kind of considerations that were um, things that I was taking into consideration that I needed to start a business, that we needed to create a marketplace solution. We needed to create jobs. I wanted to create a way um, for women to earn an income and to take care of their own families and to put themselves through school um, and to do that in a way that would have positive ripple effects, not just for them, but throughout the local economy as well. Um, So I started a chicken farm Hmm. that failed pretty miserably. And then I designed a pair of strappy funky sandals that had a leather base and interchangeable fabric ribbons that you could kind of tie and style in different ways. And I went out to this school that I had been volunteering with where I met these really, really bright female students and, and committed said kind of, okay, here's the deal. Um, if, if you work to these three young women, Mary, Mercy and Rebecca, I said, okay, if you make these sandals for the next nine months, I promise that you will go to college next fall. Hmm. And they were like, okay. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And came back home to the U S and started selling sandals out of the back of my car, which, you know, (laughs) is definitely what your parents want you doing with your master's degree in journalism. (laughs) Um, and so I started selling these sandals. We sold enough, um, to help Mary Mercy and Rebecca all continue on to university. And it was a real moment for us where we were like, oh my gosh, well, if it worked, if it worked for these three women and now they're in university, they're going to graduate from college, become leaders in their community. Um, and we're doing this through kind of this marketplace solution. Like, can we stop? We can't stop. We should probably just do it again next year and try to hire twice as many women. Um, and so that's kind of how it all started. We started for the first probably four or five years of our business. We sold one product that strappy, funky, super versatile, kind of DIY sandals. And we have now evolved into a full on women's lifestyle fashion brand. We do apparel and jewelry, leather goods, accessories, footwear. 
Um, and we have, um, we employ about 50 full-time women in Uganda. Now we've sent over 130 women in East Africa on to university, the school that we originally partnered with almost 10 years ago, kind of my big dream was that every single girl that graduated from that program would have an option to have a job on the day they graduated from high school that would enable them to continue on to university. And last year we accomplished that goal, um, which was really fun. So we've grown our market to the extent that we are able to provide jobs for um, every single woman. And then in addition to that, we have artisan partners now um, all over the continent in Ethiopia and Kenya in now India, Peru. And so really building a global network of artisan partners and producers that all produce and manufacture according to fair trade principles. And then we sell the products through a network of social entrepreneurs here in the U.S., which has kind of been the next like chapter two evolution of our business is really thinking about how to create um, impact here at home, how to use that same spirit and drive and mission of creating community and opportunity for women in East Africa and really extending that to women here in the U.S. And the need that we saw here in the U.S. was definitely different than it was in East Africa, um, but just kind of this groundswell of women who were like, I want my work to matter. I want to be a part of something that's bigger than myself. I want to build a life of purpose and impact, really drawn to the idea of social entrepreneurship, but I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't have a business. I don't have a product. I can't start a manufacturing company in East Africa. And so we've really said like, hey, you don't have to do any of that. Come alongside us. We'll provide you with the brand, the impact Mm -hmm. model, and the product. You go out, sell the product in your community, style your friends, earn an income, um, and, and build alongside of us. And so that has been the most recent iteration and journey, um, of our company. And that's where we are today. So, um, Liz, you and I have talked about some of these communities here in the U S that have been impacted by their work as social entrepreneurs. Can you talk a little bit about some of those examples? Our top seller for 2018, um, she's a homeschooling mama. She lives in Dallas, Texas. She is like next level talented professional clarinetist. She's in like the, I don't know, Dallas Symphony, like very legit, teaches music, passionate about music, has never sold anything a day in her life. And she actually joined Seiko. She had her son and went through a season of very severe postpartum depression Mm. and kind of in the midst of her healing journey was like, I have to find a community of women. She had pulled back and lost a lot of relationships during that really, really hard season. Mm -hmm. And so she went to a trunk show and fell in love with, you know, a beautiful, I think it was a jade leather bag. And was like, okay, one, I have to have the bag, but two (laughs) was just really struck by her experience at this trunk show of women that just felt like they were super open and authentic and really this all running this, this race to want to create opportunity for women and girls in East Africa. And she was like, I need this type of community in my life in in order to kind of be healthy. And so she really joined one for the product and two for the community element thinking like, okay, I'll sell here or there enough to kind of like fund my leather bag habit. Um, (laughs) but of course I don't have any intention of, you know, doing this full time and gosh, less than probably 18 months later, she is a top seller in our company. She has built a thriving team of over a hundred women from all over the country. I was just in Uganda with her last week. I got to take um, 11 of our top sellers 
to uh, Uganda to see the impact and to meet our colleagues over there and learn more about how the product is made and just this amazing adventure of a lifetime. And then let's see, there was another woman on the trip, one of our other top sellers and team leaders. She is a pediatrician from the Bay Area. Um, And what I love about that is like who, no one in direct sales has pediatricians that, you know, (laughs) own homes in the Bay selling products. That's just like not the typical demographic for direct sellers. Um, But because of our mission and our impact, here's this woman who's incredibly passionate about women's issues globally and wanting to see women have access to dignified jobs and to freedom. And uh, she's a doctor, so she's got a day job, you know, but she really sees this as a way she gathers her friends and it's just a super fun way to, you know, style her friends, introduce them to this new brand, um, while also making this impact that really aligns with, um, her core beliefs that kind of drive the rest of her life. And so that's been one of the really fun parts and surprising parts, to be honest, of the last three years of, um, kind of launching this direct sales platform is really seeing the type of women that, um, are excelling and that are thriving, almost all of them not having previous direct sales experience. One of the things that we're seeing is that we are able to attract a really unique woman who otherwise would say, um, probably no, thank you. Like, I'm not going to like sell $30 leggings made in China to my friends or don't really have an interest in selling, you know, fake eyelashes, but beautiful product that has this incredible story and mission. Like, yes, I will open my home. Yes, I will have my girlfriends over and, you know, open a few bottles of wine and tell them this story and invite them into this and style them. And everybody walks away with one, a great, beautiful, you know, new asset to their wardrobe and two, having been invited into this beautiful mission. And so it's been really fun seeing the type of women who are kind of finding themselves as accidental social entrepreneurs, much like I would say I did 10 years ago. Hmm. Where'd you come up with the name? Enseiko is the Lugandan word for laughter. Hmm. So you host essentially do-gooder Tupperware parties for cooler stuff. Is that fair? That is an amazing way to say it. (laughs) Do-gooder Tupperware parties with way cooler stuff. What is the what is the thing that Seiko does best? What's your secret sauce? Maybe you've shared it already. Maybe it is that story plus community of the women that come together. But I don't want to speak for you. What would you say is the secret sauce? The secret sauce is the trifecta of community impact and product. We know so much now. It's just like we constantly we're so aware of the world's massive, huge issues. And yet so often we are left with this kind of paralyzing sense of like, yeah, but what can I do? Um, and I think what Seiko provides is, a, a, just a pathway towards small actions that you can take every day. And if you are faithful in these actions, whether you're someone who wants to give five hours a week or you want it to be your full-time thing, it's a pathway towards building a life, um, mm-hmm. that's making an impact and um, that's incredibly important. And then product. I think a, what what Seiko does that a lot of other um, companies, I think, that have a really beautiful mission, uh, oftentimes, I think, kind of rely on their mission, right? Where it's like, oh, but someone poor made it. <laughs> you should buy it. Um, and my thought is, is that products that have really beautiful stories should actually be even more beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like I owe it to that beautiful story to have a product that is on trend, that's made well, that's made from fantastic materials that you would see 
sitting on a shelf and you would buy regardless because it's a beautiful handbagger. It's a you know great pair of sandals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's that impact and purpose and community that really converts our people into in, into evangelists for the brand. Is anything not working in this? What Have you had an epic fail moment along the way? Oh, my gosh. We've had so many epic <laughs> I mean, I think any entrepreneur that's still hanging on a decade later, um, I think just starts to realize that it's not about avoiding the epic failure. I think it's about just building the resilience and the muscle memory to when you are in the midst of the epic failure being like, I've been here before. I've felt these feelings before. It's all felt like it was going to crumble before. And we're still here. Mm-hmm. We did it. We mm-hmm. made it. We came out on the other side of it. So yes, I mean, terrible disasters, whether that's entire shipments that, you know, were delayed for 90 days before they finally showed up. And when they finally showed up, turns out the container had a leak and all of the product was Aww. covered in mold. And I spent, you know, a week in a hundred degree warehouse with a toothbrush and bleach water trying to save, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of inventory or, so so many things. Help us define success. How do you define success? What does better money look like for you? I think success for me is being in a place where I can wake up every day saying the work that I'm doing today. And, and by work, I mean any part of my vocation as, and I consider my vocation, a social entrepreneur, a wife, a mom, and a community member that the way that I will spend my time um, is consistent with my belief in a, in a world that I want to build, um, that I'm actively co-creating the world that I want to live in and actively building a life um, of purpose, passion, and impact. Mm. Well, um, there will be a whole host of folks, um, either in our community or in our society at large, that say, you know, that's BS, this doesn't work. How do you make sure in terms of the Seiko philosophy, lifestyle, everything to how do you make sure that no one can call BS on you? If you're really that skeptical, like join us, I don't show up at our factory in Uganda and um, learn about what we're doing there and the impact that we're having in that local economy. Like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who are super skeptical about direct sales companies and frankly, there's some decent reason to be skeptical of it. Um, and we have all of, you know, the policies that incentivize the right things to, um, but at the end of the day, it's like, come join us, be a part of what we're doing and look, look from the inside. Um, and I think I'm always very willing (laughs) and open. And I think that that would be my, my ultimate, uh, answer to anybody calling BS. What is the trickiest critique you deal with? And it might be a self critique. What's the biggest challenge you face? I think the biggest challenge, and this is external and internal, which is hard because when you hear critique external that does resonate with something you already struggle with, it, you know, it's easy to give that more weight. Um, it's an interesting thing that when you try to do anything decent in the world, um, it's people will very quickly ask you why you're not doing 12 other really decent things in the world. (laughs) You know, it's like, well, what are you doing about this problem? And why aren't you trying to solve this problem? And it's incredibly, you know, in my earliest, earliest days, I think that that was a paralyzing, um, it was paralyzing. It was like, you know, I was in Uganda and the, the issues that I cared about that it just seemed enormous. 
And there are so many different ways that you can kind of try to go about solving these like massive issues. And I think what I learned really, really early on, on an intellectual level is like, if you try to solve all of the world's problems, like you will fail and you will make no impact. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't do anybody any good, yourself included. Um, focus and being okay with saying like, this is my little corner of the universe. And mm -hmm. this is the thing that lights my heart on fire. And this is the specific business that I am building to solve this specific problem. And the hope is of course, that there's lots of positive ripple effects, but actually like, I'm not trying to solve those 19 other problems. What's next for you? First of all, it's so inspiring. So appreciate you spending this time. One of the things I love and maybe we love about doing this show is the chance to learn from and hear from people like you. So thank you so much. What is next for you? Boom, bust, shift, exit, change things, expand? Oh, I love this. Boom, baby. You know, we are, <laughs> we're in this place where specifically with kind of the launch of this social selling model over the last three years, we... Um, in this really interesting place where in some ways our business feels pretty established kind of on the manufacturing product production impact side. We've been at it for, you know, almost a decade and have a lot of things that we feel like are in a really good place and are really kind of locked in. And then on the other side where we feel like we're kind of like a two year old startup. Um, but in that really fun stage of a startup where we're like, okay, the first 24 months is literally just finding up from down learning this new industry, setting kind of all of our, whether that's, you know, all of our strategy and policies and all of that stuff in place. Um, and we're in a really good place in that realm. And so, um, we're on the boom, the boom track, if you will. So now it's a matter of just saying like, okay, how do we grow it? How do we find more women who want to be a part of this community on the U S side to style their friends, to earn an income, to sell the product so that we can, can, continue to increase demand um, and create jobs globally for, for our partners. Is there a word for being intentional with your clothes, like a, an apparel vegan? <laughs> there's a lot of different kind of jargon. I, I would say there's not something that feels like really uh, sexy or short or that um, is universally recognized yet, though. There's, you know, sustainable fashion, socially conscious fashion, ethical fashion. These are all kind of words. Um, but there's not really like a label. There's not I like a shabby chic. Yeah. 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 We need to work on that. What about, what, what about a taboo word like meatist? <laughs> what is that? No, like things that become taboo. I don't know if it's making the show or not. Things that end up <laughs> becoming taboo end up really impacting or the taboo really impacts Yes, culture. true. So is there anything, you know, like, I don't know, mean kids would call someone a scrap or a scrounge we were kids when they couldn't afford nice clothes. What about somebody who's like a jerk with their clothes? Anything that we call those people? Like a fashy, like a fascist, yeah, but with your fashion. Like fast, fashion. Fashy. Is, uh, fastest. Uh, fastest. Fascist? Fascist might have some other connotations. But, but I no, like, but fashy. fashy. You said fashy. That's kind of good. I said that's so fashy. Fashy yeah, is pretty fashy. good. Or flat. Yeah, I like that. So we can workshop it. You guys, you'll, you'll figure <laughs> yeah. it out. You'll come up with I'm answer. a pretty big advocate of I don't think people change because they're shamed. And in fact, I think that that's actually a big impediment of the ethical, socially conscious fashion movement. To be frank, if we want to go down this rabbit trail, it's made. Yeah, I want to argue driven, about this. Make your case. It's, it's driven by a lot of what I would call purists. The mm. like few and loud that um, have ideas on how ethical and how sustainable your wardrobe should be that is so unrealistic for mm. the masses 
Um, and instead of inviting people, my whole thought is like, we just get to invite people in to participate. And um, it starts with one purchase. Mm. It starts with instead of buying, you know, that that pair of like, you know, polyurethane sandals for $14 that are definitely barely going to make it through your summer, like invest in a pair of sandals that one are way cuter. And two, you literally are going to have for the next 10 years. And you're going to get to be a part of this like awesome story. It's much more of like a pull than a push, I guess, like a pull mm. into be a part of this story, be a part of our community put an an amazing, beautiful item in your wardrobe. Um, I think when people feel ashamed of their past purchasing habits, myself included, that it's Mm -hmm. just like, okay, but I also live in the real world and, you know, have to like, you know, I've got a wedding coming up and it's on Friday and it's Thursday night and I need to, you know, make a quick purchase and figure that out. And like real that that's life. And so I think we do a disservice when we make it feel like it's this elite club that it's mm-hmm. all or nothing. You're either an ethical fashion, you know, crusader or you're a fashy, if you will. <laughs> um, and, and I really don't believe in shaming people into changing their behavior. I believe that we can invite them into a better, more winsome, more compelling behavior that's going to be a win-win. So here's my counter. My counter, for a brand, I think I would totally agree, right? If we were, if we were having a strategy meeting about... Uh, Seiko saying that the brand be mostly about shaming, I think it would be a horrible mistake because you want it to be a loving place that people want to be included in. And I think ultimately wanting, having love be the thing that wins, I would also agree with. But here's my counter. Calling people litter bugs and doing little videos about like you shouldn't throw trash on the street or you're a litter bug and teaching kids they shouldn't be a litter bug, I think had a profound impact on people Mm. not throwing around litter. Now, that wasn't a brand saying, hey, yeah. hold on to your packaging and don't be a litter bug, buy my product. No, the brand would say, no, no, this tastes good. This is good. Use my thing. But in terms of cultural norms, I think the fact that, you know, don't just be welcoming about people who lo- are loving, but also make it clear that like racism, misogyny is not the way to go and make it that be a thing that people try to avoid. I don't know. I think there's probably a role for it. But what do I know? You know what? I think that this actually circles back really well to the three-legged stool of capitalism, philanthropy, and government, or democracy, right? And I think that that's a really great example, that it's like, I wouldn't take that perspective as a brand. But if I were purely doing kind of like a public perception, you know, social change project that um, I still don't know if shame is the emotion that I want to tap into, (laughs) just like intrinsically as a human, I think that we actually like, psychologically, um, go into a mode where we are not able to really receive new information once we're being shamed because that touches, you know, a very like core need to want to defend and protect ourselves. But I do think that taking a different communication standard of like calling a wrong, a wrong and having no place for whether that is racism or misogyny, or, I mean, frankly, knowing that you're, you know, in your own, there's a lot of uh, I mean, if we want to just really go for it, even in the ethical fashion, sustainable fashion world, there's a bit of white supremacy in that, right? It's me saying it is more important for me as a, you know, resourced white American to have access to clothes that I want when I want them for the price that I want them, than it is this, you know, and a lot of manufacturing production is happening in like the global South, like this brown production worker to have access to a dignified, fair paid living wage job where they're treated with respect and dignity. Um, I think that there is absolutely a place for that conversation. And I totally agree with you. I don't think I'm going to put that on my homepage. Right. But the really cool thing about, you know, my line of work is that it's like I have my brand that I'm running 
But then it's also like part of getting to be an entrepreneur is I do, I get to stand on stages and I get to write books and I get to be on podcasts and I do get to kind of dive into those more difficult conversations that I think do require um, some thinking and communicating that maybe is um, a little bit harder to hear, but incredibly important. And as a parallel, um, I mean, it's the same kind of debate with fast food. I mean, that certain people can't afford really healthy food. Um, sure. And yep. or they don't have access to it. So, you know, how do you not build shame around those folks who literally cannot access that or don't have the means to want to be ethical in every decision um, because sure. economically they're prevented from it? So yep. fashy, fashy can't mean poor. Fashy would then have to be mean something like buy clothes and waste them. Uh, it would have to mean something about disposability, yeah. something that's volitional, something that I something that's a little bit more something like that's littering. littering. Yeah, yeah. It's like don't be honestly. A... I feel like typically poor people are a lot thriftier and they think a lot more critically. I mean, it's honestly a problem of the more wealthy than it is the poor, mm -hmm. I would say with, I mean, it's like the people that are buying 90, you know, $9.99 cent t-shirts are not necessarily just people who literally can't afford it. It's the person who's like, I can't afford to blow a couple hundred bucks this month, but I want, you know, I want 30 new things as opposed to saying like, I'm going to invest in one piece. Mm -hmm. And that piece not only is going to be beautiful, but it's also going to align with my vision for what I want the world to be like. So yes, I think that, um, it's more about, uh, your habits than it is mm -hmm. your socioeconomic status. But it, that's an incredibly important part of it is like, we can't have the ethical, sustainable fashion conversation without recognizing the privilege that even goes into having that conversation. Right. Um, and without recognizing that, I think you're really, you're doing a huge disservice to the movement as a whole. Where do you sell your stuff? And is Amazon one of those places? We don't sell through Amazon. So we sell through our website, which is SeikoDesigns.com. And that's S-S-E-K-O designs.com. And then we sell through Seiko Fellows all across the country. So you can hop online, have a typical e-commerce experience, go buy yourself a beautiful leather travel bag or, you know, a cute little pouch or a pair of sandals. Or you can um, contact us and we can connect you to a fellow in your area who could show you samples in person. You could invite friends over to your house, have five girlfriends over, open a bottle of wine, have a fellow come over really share with you about the impact, kind of give you a more one-on-one -on -one personal styling, like here are our best-selling pieces and here's how we wear them and here's how this could kind of fit into your wardrobe and have an in-person shopping experience. So whether that is online or offline, we've got you covered. Wonderful. We are going to head into the rapid round now. Are you ready? I'm okay. nervous. No, don't be nervous. No. Um, okay. So... Liz, what is a piece of advice you got that still inspires you? Um, fake it till you make it. <laughs> <laughs> What's a factoid everyone should know or something you recently learned that surprised you? I read that 59% of Americans could not pay a $500 emergency bill without putting it on a credit card. A book that needs to be on our bookshelves. Mm, I just finished uh, Dare to Lead by Brené Brown. A quote you try to live by or that would inspire people to live their values? I don't think I have, like, a quote memorized. <laughs> Move on. I really don't actually have That's okay. Sorry. Okay. We'll, we'll do the last one then. Liz, what's one thing few people know about you? It might be that I'm an introvert. 
I'm the most, I'm the loudest, most talkative introvert you might ever meet. Liz, thank you so much for spending time with us on Better Money. Thank you so much for having me. If you have questions, comments, high fives to share with us, please email us at bettermoney at xray.fm. We also want to say thanks to our producers, to X-Ray FM here in Portland, Oregon. Thank you to Phantom Sons for the theme music. You can find every episode of Better Money on xraypod.com and any other place where you get your podcast. If you have questions, comments, high fives, you can email us at bettermoney at xray.fm. <laughs>